Good morning, everybody. How you doing today? All right, good to see you guys. Wave at me if you're awake and alive and you've had enough coffee. My name is Jake. I'm the lead pastor here at Joy Church, in case you don't know me. I'd love to get to meet you if you're, if you're here for the first time or maybe you haven't come and said hi. I'm not scary. I don't bite very often. So if you come and uh, say hello in the uh, lobby, that'd be awesome. Well, man, I am so excited about today. I am so pumped about this series that we're in called God Goggles, where we're learning to see ourselves and others through God's eyes. How many of you are excited about this? Were you here last week and you heard that first message about this, learning to see through God's eyes? I don't know if we've got microphones live or on or something. They're going to dial it in. You're hearing echo. I feel like the Wizard of Oz behind the curtain here. Well, I'm excited. We're going to dive right in. So as I said, we're continuing in this series about God goggles. And uh, how many of you understand and know that God does not see the world? He doesn't see us in the way that we see the world or maybe see ourselves, right? And we read this verse last week, but I'll just read it again real quick to recap. In Isaiah chapter 55, verse eight, it says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. God thinks differently. He sees differently than we do. And I'm really appreciative of this because if you've ever seen a movie like Bruce Almighty or one of those types of movies where a human being becomes God, you ever seen that kind of thing, right? It always goes horribly awry, doesn't it? Because as human beings, we're biased. We, we see things a certain way. We, we have a, a perspective of the world. And it, and it seems like, well, if I had all the power, I could fix everything, right? And then what you find out when you get all the power is, no. Uh, my, my perspective is flawed. It's limited. And I can't handle everything that I need to handle if I had all the power. So we're glad that God actually has a higher perspective. And this means a lot to us because he has a higher perspective of even us than we have of ourselves God sees your potential, he sees your worth, he sees your value, even through your mistakes and, and everything like that. And so today I'm excited to talk about putting on God goggles and allowing God to transform the way that we see ourselves. Now, I wanna start and just tell you a story. I'm gonna move this microphone out of the way so I can do my ninja pastor moves up here uh, and not knock anything over. How's that? I get nervous that I'm gonna break something and they're gonna take it out of my salary. So I wanna... Oh. <laughs> Uh, how many of you have ever been to the fair? I'm so sorry. How many of you enjoy the fair? Okay. And I've never been to the Oregon fair here, like the Eugene fair. I've heard that's just like, woo, crazy. But, but uh, I'm from Jackson County down in Southern Oregon. And uh, how many of you have ever heard of the Jackson County fair? World famous? No? Okay. For the people from Jackson County that are here in the front, it's not great. So Jackson County fair, they always find out when is Jackson County going to feel like hell? This literally, the organizers of the fair are like, when, is it, when will it be 115 degrees? That's fair week. So that's just, you always know when will the hottest time of the year be whenever the Jackson County Fair is in town, that's when it's gonna be, okay? The Jackson County Fair, my parents would always tell us, we're not gonna go to the fair. We'd see the, like, the rides and stuff. And just as a kid, it was like, oh my gosh, I need to go to the fair. They're like, guys, it's hot, it's expensive, it's nasty and you're probably gonna get murdered by somebody named Spike with one eye. Like it's gonna happen, right? No offense if you're a carny, I'm sorry. I mean, just let's lean into this stereotype, okay? So, you know, they always try to tell us like, don't go to the fair. Well, one day I got my way. I think I was a teenager, like 16, 17. I had earned some extra, some extra Skrilla, a little bit of cash. 
And uh, is that okay to say that? Am I allowed to say that? I don't know. Is it a bad word or something? People reacted interestingly. Everyone froze. I'm just trying to be relevant for the young people. Okay, so I had some extra spending money and my friends were like, we're going to the fair. So I went to the fair. Truth be told, I kind of liked a girl that was going to go. So that's kind of why I wanted to go. So I, I went to the fair and I ended up getting the world's largest smoothie. It was just like absolute sugar, totally packed. I get on the, what's that thing though? Like the rotator, is that what it's called? <laughs> the spinner, the Gravitron, thank you. <laughs> like, cause if we change the name, it's not just a vomit inducing thing, right? It's, it's Gravitron, no, it's called the vomiter. So I rode the Gravitron and it just basically spins you around in a circle until you feel like you're gonna die. I get out, I'm in hell, it's 115 degrees and I'm, not, I'm like completely nauseated and I basically ended up spending 25 bucks to get in, I think 15 bucks on tickets and like $15 on a smoothie. So I blew like $50 to feel sick. That was my fair experience, right? Now, you'd think I would have learned my lesson, but like, because earlier in my life before going to the fair, I'd actually had an experience at a fair-like environment. I was with my, my grandpa, my sister Natalie and I were with my grandpa up in Portland. And my grandpa is like the cheapest guy ever. Not my mom's side, that side of the family, they were like, hey, spend money, we're Sicilian, hey, it doesn't matter. The German side was like, no, we don't spend it, you know, <laughs> we save it. Well, we don't have it, so it doesn't, you know. So my grandpa on that side, though, he, he decided he was going to take us. I think my grandma was like, Gene, take him to the fair. So he took my sister and I to this little carnival on the corner, and this is in Gresham or someplace out in, in Portland area. Can you put up the picture of the funhouse? You're welcome. <laughs> Everyone, please have nightmares for the rest of your life. So we go to this carnival. This looks exactly like the one that was there. They all look the same, but this one looks like identical to my memories. I found this on the internet and I'm like, that is the, my, the stuff of nightmares. We go to this little carnival at the corner. We, you, know, you pay a bunch of money for tickets and then we, we go. And my grandpa was really mad at my sister and I because we're like, we want to spend our money on this, this game where you throw the balls into the milk jugs, you know, the milk canisters. And my grandpa grabs the, the softball and it's like made of rubber. So you're going to throw this rubber ball into a, a hole that's like six inches in diameter. Of, of course, that you're never going to win, right? So we see like the giant pandas and the giant giraffe and we're like, we're going to win. And he's like, you're not going to win. And, and so we just disobeyed. We, dis, you know, we just did our own thing. We lost our money. We're like crying. So he then he had to pony up and give us a little bit more money. And so he's like, do you want to do the fun house? <laughs> Thanks, grandpa. Bye-bye, grandpa loves you. Like, I think he wanted us to stay in there probably. So forever. So anyways, we go into the fun house and it's creepy. It's very creepy, but there's something inside these fun houses, which why are they called fun houses? They should be called don't come in murder house. Like that should be, there's a clown in here with a knife at some point. We go in and it's scary and weird, but there is something cool inside of these, these bad boys. And it's the, 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 the mirrors, right? You, you know what I'm talking about? And you know, the one makes you look skinny. I like that one. <laughs> the other one makes you look bigger here. Camera adds 10, camera adds 10 pounds. No, you, you're eating out of 10 pounds. So <clears throat> the funhouse mirror is hilarious because you, you look at yourself and you're like, your face is all weird and your eyes are somewhere else. And now you can do it with your phone, right? All the little filters that kids have and, and, on, on their stuff. But at the time, back in the old school way, you know, this was what we had. And we, you see yourself in this mirror and it's totally hilarious, but it's completely inaccurate. Now, why am I telling you this stuff about the fair and, 
carnies and clowns and funhouse mirrors. The, the reason why I'm talking about this is because we tend to actually see ourselves this way, distorted. And yet we don't realize it. We think, well, I see myself like correctly. Like I know what I weigh and how tall I am and what my hair's like. And I know, you know, who my talents and abilities and my skills. I know what I'm good at, what I'm bad at. And we, we think that we are seeing ourselves correctly, but I'm here to tell you today that we're not. We're actually seeing ourselves distorted. You see, a lot of people don't realize, but what we call the fall, when human beings decided to sin and go their own direction apart from God, it didn't just mean that we did something bad and now we continue to do bad things. It actually, it actually broke us sort of on an internal level so that even the way that we see the world is distorted. And so we end up getting a distorted picture, a distorted view of ourselves. Now, listen, I want to just share three things this, this morning real quick is before we jump into the word about how we get distorted. See, the first thing is that our view of ourselves gets distorted by our past mistakes. As we go through life and, and, we, and, we, and we just make decisions and we do things, make choices and develop habits and all of this, we make mistakes. And this can really distort us to where we're not, we're not seeing ourselves correctly. We're not seeing ourselves as God sees us. Are you familiar with the song Amazing Grace? If you're not, I don't know where you've been for the last hundred years, but Amazing Grace, right? How sweet the sound. Do you know that song was written by a guy named John Newton? And John Newton was actually such a rough character. He, he worked on slaving ships, so he was a, a slaver. He was actually practiced human slavery. Uh, John Newton was so foul-mouthed, like he was so disgusting in the way that he talked and the language that he used, that literally other sailors were like, this guy's too much. Like he was known to be so foul that sailors, you ever heard like swear like a sailor? He made them uncomfortable. What do you even say to make a sailor blush with shame, right? Like, what do you even do? And this is John Newton, the guy that ends up writing one of the most amazing famous songs about grace. The song that we sing, like when we want to be spiritual, the song that helps us feel close to God. Here's John Newton. He writes this this song, but what happened that he worked on a slave ship, he, he offended other sailors. He actually was so disgusting that his fellow uh, slave ship people, they actually sold him into slavery. I don't know if you knew this, but he actually worked as a slave in Sierra Leone for a period of time. His father finally worked out a way to rescue him and gets him out of slavery. And he eventually has a conversion experience. Now, a lot of people think it happens like overnight in this one moment, but it doesn't. It actually takes years. In fact, he, he works as a slave ship captain, all this stuff, but he, he finally has a revelation of God and he realizes, wow, what I've been doing is wrong. And it's actually his wife that ends up really helping him. How many of you know, we all need a man. We need a good woman to help us straighten us out, you know, clear us up. John Newton ends up becoming a Christian and now he has to reconcile this past where he has literally participated in human trafficking, human slavery, and he recognizes there's an awakening that's taking place in England at this time. Historically, you know about William Wilberforce and some of these things where this great injustice is, is, is you know, they're starting to, people are actually starting to be like, hey, this isn't okay, right? Which is crazy that you would ever think it was, but they did. And, and he, he has this revelation, man, what I've done with my life is so disgusting. And it, it took him a long time to reconcile these past mistakes. Now, maybe you've not participated, and I pray to God you have not, in human slavery of any kind, uh, whether as a uh, doing it or being in it. I, you know, I, I hope you've never even had to have an experience of that. But all of us have past mistakes. And for John Newton, it was this revelation that of amazing grace, 
How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. When he sings the word wretch, what do you think he's thinking about? He was such a foul guy that sailors put him into slavery. He was participating in this. And all of us, maybe you're not on that level, but our view of ourselves can be distorted. It's hard for us to see how God sees because we've made mistakes. How many of you know what I'm talking about? We think back to the worst things we've done. We think back to the, the bad things that we struggle with, the internal dialogue that we know is wrong and apart from God's plan for us. And so our view of ourselves gets distorted by our past mistakes. The second thing that can help, that can distort our view of ourselves is the words of other people. When I was a little kid, I was at this park in Medford called Bear Creek Park. It's like this really cool wooden play structure. They think they've rebuilt it now. There's all these little cubby holes and places to hide. And I remember I was very introverted and very shy, not really shy, but just kind of to myself. And I went and I was in this little area and I was hiding. And all of a sudden this little kid, I don't know if it was a boy or a girl, I, I don't remember, comes up to me and they were looking at me. And then they said to me, are you a boy or a girl? Now, right now it's like, what's the big deal? But as like a five or six or eight, I don't know, seven-year-old, I don't know how old I was. It like just hit me at a core level. And like, I'm like, why do they, why do they, they can't tell? Well, what is that? why? Like, what's wrong with me? What do I look like? Like, what is my, what do I look like a girl? Like, I'm not a girl, I'm a boy, you know? And all of a sudden it was like this, this, this thing came into my life that just like totally distorted my view of myself. And I started to like think about my body and I started to have like body issues and like thinking about how I looked and like, do I look like a girl? Is my body shaped like a girl? Does my face look like a girl? Now, when I think back, I'm like, my mom had me in like neon green hammer pants and a pink neon shirt. <laughs> that could have been it, right? just spitballing here, but, but at the time, how, how many of you have situations like this? See, I can look back as an adult and, and rationalize and, and say, oh, you know, that stupid little kid. He didn't know what he's talking about. But you know what? In that moment, all of a sudden I had a distorted view. Why? Because there had been a seed planted of words that were spoken to me, spoken over me. And right now, maybe you're hearing words that were spoken over you. And maybe it wasn't just a question like, are you a boy or a girl? But maybe it was like, you're worthless. You're stupid. You're nothing. I wish you'd never been born. And, and somebody said something to you. So now you see yourself through this lens of shame, of pain, of rejection, of hurt, of abandonment. I just wonder how many people are sitting in this room today that literally their life has been directed by the words of another person. And you need to hear a better voice today. You need to hear the voice of your father and how he sees you. Get a, get a new perspective. Another way that we can be distorted is by our, just our self-perception. So one of the things that fascinates me is the, the change in beauty standards from time to time. And this is something I'd encourage everybody to, to look at, like just research this a little bit. But if you go back, like how women were perceived as beautiful in ancient Egypt or Greece or in the Renaissance, like in the Renaissance, uh, Italian Renaissance, you, you, you needed to be, have like a really, you remember the Mona Lisa, right? She was like the ideal of feminine beauty. You, and you're like, why? Because she doesn't appear that beautiful to us now, but the high forehead, uh, wide hips, like bigger, bigger bone, bigger, bigger body shape was like attractive and, and more beautiful and sort of like the ideal. And if you go through history, even in the last century, it changes the standard of beauty for both men and women. And it changes. It's more for women. I'm sorry, ladies. It like affects you more because guys, we just always have like boogers hanging out all the time anyways, and dirty pants and stuff, you know, worms in our pockets and whatever. But we, the, the, the perception of beauty is a moving target. So like now, Every little girl is competing with these photoshopped other women that aren't real. I mean, how many of you know this is a problem? 
even secular society is aware of it, that we've created a monster because what we've done is we've built up this whole idol, this whole image. It's like this ideal. This is what a beautiful woman looks like. And so every little girl is trying to compete. You know what? I just tell my little girls, like, you're the most beautiful. We, we, I took my daughters to a princess dance. Yes, a mermaid princess dance, even more manly. And uh, Jeremy was there with his daughter and Mark was there, Melina with his daughter and, couple, and Thomas was there. And man, it was so cool to see dads there. Like every guy there, I think is a super stud to have their little girl in a princess dress and dance, man. My daughter, Evie, she's not much of a dancer. Penny, this was her first year. And that girl wants to dance, man. I'm telling you, I was like sweating at the end because she was just like, dance, 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 you know? Three, I'm like, oh my goodness. Evie was eating like 15 cupcakes while I was dancing with Penny. But, I, you know, I tell my daughters, because they're like, oh, that other girl looks so beautiful. I'm like, yeah, she did. You know, this other girl, she looks so beautiful. I loved her dress. I'm like, yeah, she's beautiful. But I say, you know, who I think is the most beautiful. Thank you. Good answer. My wife. That's right. But in this story, I said, who do, you, who do I think is the most beautiful? And they're like, who, daddy? Who, daddy? I'm like, you. You. You're perfect the way that you are. I love your eyes. I love your hair. I love you. You're so beautiful. And I do think my daughters are beautiful. But you know what? I don't, I want, you know who I want them? You know who I want to define beauty for them? Not, not even me. I want God to define their beauty. And, and I don't want them to be competing with a false image. Come on, are you with me? But we can, we can get distorted. Whether you're a guy, whether you're a girl, we can get distorted in our self-perception because beauty is a moving target in society. And then what we do as well, whether it's beauty, maybe let's talk about guys a little bit. It's not necessarily beauty, although there are some beautiful men and I'm like, I wish I looked like them, you know, but um, handsome. How, how about that? Um, men can be beautiful. I mean, you saw Kyle's old hair, right? You could be beautiful. So anyway, sorry. I love you, man. But anyways, um, we compare ourselves to each other. We're like, I wish I was like this guy. He's confident. He's an alpha. He knows how to talk. He knows what to do. I wish I was like this dude. He's really good at this. And we compare ourselves. That guy makes more money or this person has, you know what I'm saying? And comparison, it always is a distortion because we're competing in a contest that we can never win because you can only ever be you. So what we should all be competing with is our own potential in God. Come on. We shouldn't be competing with someone else's dream or someone else's destiny or their talents or their abilities. Well, if I was like this guy, you're not, you're you. So be you. You do you, boo. Connect with God's vision of yourself. So these are the ways that we get distorted, distorted by our past mistakes, distorted by the words of others, distorted by our self-perception. And here's the deal. The enemy of your soul, Satan, Lucifer, the devil, the enemy wants to distort your identity. Why? So he can destroy your destiny. Because if you don't know who you are, you'll never achieve what God has called you to do. Never be who he's called you to be. In Judges chapter 6, verse 11, we, we come into this story about a guy named Gideon. And the back story of this situation is that at this moment in Israel's history, they continue to be taken over by foreign nations because they're in rebellion against God. And so it says, Then the angel of the Lord came and sat beneath the great tree at Ophrah, which belonged to Joash of the clan of Abiezer. And Gideon, son of Joash, was threshing wheat at the bottom of a wine press to hide the grain from the Midianites, these people that were oppressing them, stealing all their stuff. It says, The angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, Mighty hero, the Lord is with you. I want an alarm clock that wakes me up every morning and says, Mighty hero, the Lord is with you. How many of you know you just wake up out of your bed? I'd float out of my bed. My belly would still be jiggling a bit, but I would be, <laughs> you know, totally awesome. Mighty hero, the Lord is with you. Sir, Gideon replied, if the Lord is with us, but here's how he said it. Sir, 
Sir, Gideon replied, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? And where are all the miracles our ancestors told us about? Didn't they say the Lord brought us up out of Egypt, but now the Lord has abandoned us and handed us over to the Midianites. Then the Lord turned to him and said, go with the strength you have and rescue Israel from the Midianites. I am sending you. But Lord Gideon replied, how can I rescue Israel? My clan is the weakest in the whole tribe of Manasseh. I'm the least in my entire family. The Lord said to him, I will be with you and you will destroy the Midianites as if you were fighting against one man. And what God is saying is, I'm gonna turn you into a superhero. You're gonna be like Superman. You're gonna fight this entire nation as if you were just taking on one guy and squaring off with him. God was telling him, hey, your destiny is that you are gonna be able to win this great victory against an entire nation, just this one guy. Now, I told you the backstory of this, this group of people that were coming through. The Midianites were a nomadic people. They would come through on camels and, and they kind of pillaged the land. They would strip it of all the resources and everything. And so Gideon is threshing grain in a wine press. Now, how many of you know about threshing grain? Because we're all grain threshers, right? Like what an idiot, he's doing it wrong. No, we don't have a clue because we don't do this anymore. But just to give you some backstory of how this works at this time in history, a wine press is like a, a, a stone basin or maybe made of wood, but probably rocks and stones. And, and uh, it built into the ground. It's a big circle. They put grapes in it. You smush it. And there's a little channel that runs down to get the liquid at the bottom. Okay. So they, they're basically, uh, it's kind of an enclosed space. It would be kind of down beneath the ground and a threshing floor where you would take wheat to separate the, the husks from the chaff would always be on a hilltop in the wind, because what, we, what you would do is you, as you would, you know, thresh this weed, and I'm doing things that I have absolutely no context to. I, I don't do manual labor. I do Emmanuel labor. Okay. So anyways, super Christian joke, but anyways, uh, he's threshing wheat and you'd throw it up in the air. So the wind would take the, the, the chaff that was lighter and blow it away and, and it would leave the, the harvest that you wanted. So here's Gideon doing something that's meant to be done on a hilltop in a wine press. You know why? because he's afraid and he's hiding from these people that are going to come take his lunch, literally take his lunch. Did you know that when you don't know who you are, you'll do what you shouldn't do? When you don't know who you are, you'll do things that you shouldn't do. You will cut corners. You will hide. You will do things that you, you'll be in the wrong place. And you're like, why am I a failure? Why can't I get my life off the ground? Why can't I break through emotionally? Because you don't know who you are. You're doing, you're trying to thresh grain in a wine press. People that are trying to break through in life without a relationship with Jesus and a proper perspective of who God made them to be will never succeed. You can get to some level of external success, but internally you'll always be a fraud because you don't really know who you are. So here's Gideon. He's doing the wrong thing in the wrong place because he doesn't know who he is. And listen to his self-assessment. So the angel of the Lord, this is a, 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 an appearance of, of Jesus or of God showing up in the Old Testament. He shows up and he's like, mighty hero. And then Gideon, his self-assessment is like, wait, wait, wait a minute. Like, I hear what you're saying, but you need to know who I am. I think you have the wrong guy. Like, my clan is the weakest in the whole tribe. And not only is my clan the weakest, my whole, I'm the weakest in my clan. I'm the weakest in my whole tribe. Like, you have literally come to the absolute worst candidate for this mission that you possibly can. Now, how many of you would say, I don't think God makes mistakes. How many of you think that he has the right guy? But how many of you would raise your hand too? How, oh, let's, do, let's do this, okay, crowd participation. How many of you think God has the right guy here in this moment? Raise your hand, okay. I do too, all right? People are like, I won't raise my hand for any reason in church. Okay, that's fine, whatever. 
How many of you, though, with confidence that you've said Gideon is the right guy for the job because God calls him, how many of you think you're the right person for the job that he calls you to? We see it changes, doesn't it? Well, yeah, 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 but Pastor Jake, I can't get up in front of people and speak. That's not what I'm, I'm not good at that. I'd be too scared. The you that you see right now is distorted. The you that God could have you be, though, when you get a vision of who he made you to be is very different. You see, for me, standing up here on this stage, uh, this isn't the height of, of anything, but I'm just going to use my own story, my own example. I'm very introverted and I prefer to not be the man like out in front. Uh, you know, I'm the kid that was sitting in the playground who was so wounded by the words of somebody questioning if I'm a boy or a girl that I could, you know, had body issues and still to this day still struggled some, some level with that just because of that moment and insecurity and fear. And yet when I get a picture of who God's called me to be, I'm standing in front of people, not embarrassed about what I look like, but just using my gifts and callings. So you're going, well, yeah, but I could never do that. Well, no, you could never do that. But Christ in you and you getting the right vision and perspective of yourself as you, as you were made by God to be and what he's called you to do. Well, pastor, I could never own a business. I'm a failure. No, God's called some of you to own businesses. God's called some of you to be leaders. God's called some of you to lead joy groups. God's called some of you to take over ministries. God's called people in this room to plant churches. God's called people in this room to start ministries. God is calling you to do incredible things but you got to get a view of yourself through God goggles as he sees you. So here's Gideon and he lists the things. I'm the least, I'm the least, I'm the worst. I'm, the, I'm, I'm no good. I, uh, I can't, I can't do it. And I love what the Lord says. He says, I am sending you. It's not about where you come from. It's about who's sending you. It's not about where you are now. It's about who's behind you, who's putting their stamp of approval on you. He says, go with the strength you have. I'm sending you. Now, listen, what do I want you to do today for this, from this message? I want to challenge you and encourage you to pursue God's vision of your life and to begin to see yourself through God's goggles, through God goggles. Start seeing yourself as God sees you. See yourself and know that you are greatly loved. See yourself as part of his family. Maybe you're here today and you're like, I don't think God loves me. I've done too many things. No, you're being distorted. Your view is distorted by your past. You are greatly loved. You are part of his family to begin to see that you have a great destiny. Do something cheesy with me. We just do something cheesy. Just give yourself like a chest bump like this. Just and kind of grimace like that too. And say this, I have a great destiny. I have a great destiny. I've told this story a bunch, but I put my hand on my son's uh, chest a lot of times. I haven't done it in a little while, so I'm gonna re resurrect this and do it some more. But I put my hand on Jack's chest when he's going to bed at night. And he always wants a hug and a kiss every night. Hug and a tiss, hug and a tiss. <laughs> That's how he says it. Hug and a tiss, dad, hug and a tiss. I'm like, okay, hug and a tiss. <laughs> I put my hand on his chest and I push him down like this into the bed. And you're like, are you killing your son? No, I'm loving him. I push my hand in his chest and I say, you're my son. And I say it like that. And you know what he does? Oh yeah. you know God's putting his hand on your life? You're my son. You're my daughter. You have a great destiny. Listen, I just want to tell you right now, if I could, if I could get into your head and beat the crap out of all the limiting beliefs and negative thoughts, I would. I'd climb in there, gray matter and all, and just start, like, this is what those people said about you. They're wrong. And just start turning over tables. You know, Jesus wants to get in your head right now. The Holy Spirit wants to get in there and take the negative image and take the distortion and take all that stuff and kick it out of there so that you can believe for once in your life that you have a great destiny and that there is more 
to you and more to what your calling is. Come on, somebody. Don't shout me down because I'm preaching good. You have a great destiny. If this church, if a few people, if three or four or five of us today would catch hold of just this one thing, we could change the world. That you have a great destiny, that you are worthy of love. Maybe today you're like, I'm not worthy of giving my body up to a bunch of men or my body to a bunch of women, and I'm not worthy. I've failed so many times. You're worthy of love because you're a child of God. A couple weeks ago, my daughter was like having a really rough day. She was being naughty. <laughs> I came home from work and Bethany said, she's upstairs. She's, she's, I had to send her up there. She's being disrespectful. She's being bad. And I walked up the stairs and I went into the room and my daughter had a backpack on. <laughs> and she said, I'm leaving. I, I don't deserve to be here. I, I've been too mean. I was mean to, you know, the others. And I, I, I was mean to mom. And, you know, I had gone up there to like, you know, bring the law. <laughs> but I realized in that moment, this is a God moment. This is a daddy moment. This is a, this is a destiny shaping moment. Dads, come on, you gotta be filled with the spirit and realize that you're a pastor of your home. You gotta be aware when it's time to, to, to forget about your business and forget about your calling and forget about you and start thinking about that, shaping that young person. Why is our culture a big pile of crap? Because the dads have abdicated their job. And I meant that word crap. I didn't say it on accident. Don't come up to me afterwards and say, pastor, you shouldn't say that. No, forget it. I will say it. Dads need to step up in this culture. In that moment, I recognized that my daughter needed me to be a representation of God's love and heart to her. I said, baby, come here, sit on my lap put her on my knee. I said, take that backpack off. I said, you never have to leave this house. I don't care what you do. This is your home. And no matter what happens, how naughty you are, how bad you are, you, you, you don't need to leave. I said, well, there's consequences. You know that. And I said, do you know what grace is? And she's like, what's grace? And I, I talked to her about grace. My seven-year-old preached, I preached a more important message than I've ever preached to y'all, to her about grace because she needs to know that she's worthy of love. And it's not about her behavior. Her behavior, yeah, we're gonna, trust me, we challenge behavior in the Schmelzer home. It's not an everything go, goes house. I yell at my kids, so sue me. You shouldn't yell at your kids. They're gonna squelch their personality. Good, because their personality is sinful. Everybody needs their personality squelched sometimes. A lot of people are walking around with an unsquelched personality and, and it's a bunch of nonsense, right? Okay. So worthy of love, though, there's a disconnect, though. We think that by challenging behavior and dealing with consequences that they're not loving. That's not true. Those two things go together like peanut butter and jelly, which is delicious. Okay. I said, honey, you're worthy of, you're, you don't have to leave, honey. This is what grace is. I said, you understand grace. And I talked to her about, we all make mistakes. I said, daddy makes mistakes. I do the wrong thing. And, and, I, and I, 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 I sometimes don't get it right. And you know what? God forgives me. He loves me. And we just talked about this and had a good cry and a good hug and everything was good but maybe you haven't had somebody speak that into your life. You didn't have me as your dad or my dad that I had. I'm very lucky, very, very blessed to have a father that was in my life in the way that I'm in my kid's life. And I know probably the majority of you did not have that, but you do now because your heavenly father is here and he's putting his hand on your life and he's saying, you're my son, you're my daughter, you're worthy of love. Come on, experience his grace today. You're deserving of reward. Come on, maybe your, your internal dialogue right now is like, ah, I'll just always be seven, you know, 7.95 an hour. I'll always be flipping burgers. Like all my, nobody in my family went to college. Come on, I don't, I don't deserve anything more. Yes, you do. You're a child of the one true king. You deserve reward. You are called to be a world changer. Come on, you're not called to be part of the status quo, part of the problem. You're called to be part of the solution. You 
are gifted and called. God has placed his gifting and calling on your life. You just might not realize it yet, but it's there and you got to get undistorted and a clear perspective of who you are and you are highly favored. You are the favorite of the Lord. My wife says, I'm God's favorite. And she just openly brags about being God's favorite. And I'm like, I can't deny it, babe. You are, you're beautiful. You're gorgeous. You're smart. You're funny. You're amazing. You're the favorite of God. But you know what she connected with a long time ago was this reality that every person can be God's favorite and you just have to reach out and grab it and wear that coat and walk through like you're wearing Gucci. Come on. Mm. I don't even know how you walk in Gucci. I don't even know what it looks like, but if I did, I, I would walk like that. You are highly favored. So listen, what can you do today? What can you do today? Two things. Number one, respond in faith to God's vision of your potential. Get yourself a Gideon alarm clock. Mighty hero, it is time to arise. Gideon didn't get it. He didn't see it, but he responded in faith and he said, okay, I'll take steps. I'll take steps towards what God sees inside of me. So I want to challenge you to respond in faith to God's vision of your potential. Man, I was, I was listing stuff in that last little bit there and you need to find yourself on there and be like, that's for me, that's the one. This is the thing I've thought about myself and I need to respond in faith to how God sees me. Come on, respond in faith to God's vision of your potential. Number two, you need to go with the strength you have. I love how the Lord says this to Gideon. He says, go with the strength you have. Meaning what? It's not about how you start, it's how you finish. Yeah, but I'm unqualified. Great, go with the strength you have. Yeah, but I can't speak. I'm like Moses, I stutter. Go to Egypt, Moses. I can't, God, okay, fine, I'm gonna send Aaron, but you're still gonna go. Go with the strength you have. Come on, right now, you're, you're, you're here, you're listening to this message and you're like, okay, cool, yeah, I need to think better about myself. No, you need to have God's thoughts in your head about yourself. And you need to go with the strength you have, which means this. When I say respond in faith to God's vision of your potential, you need to say, what is God calling me to do? For you, maybe that's to go to Next Track. Maybe it's to start a joy group. Maybe it's to, to launch that business. Maybe it's to ask that person to marry you. I don't know. But go in the strength you have. Say, you know what? I'm not gonna allow my distorted image of myself to abort my destiny and thwart my destiny. That's what the enemy wants to neutralize me. I'm gonna listen to the voice of God and I'm gonna walk in boldness into the future and the destiny that he's called me to. Even if it doesn't look good right now, I'm gonna go with the strength I have. I'm gonna go with the strength that I have. When Bethany and I planted Joy Church, we had been fired two months before in the middle of the night. We had to leave our house in one month. We had three little kids, no plan, no money. We took our life savings, put it on a table, grabbed a few crazy people and started this dang church. <clears throat> and now we're buying Skate World. We're all buying it, just in case you think I have any more life savings. It's already been on the table. <laughs> you know what we felt like? not mighty heroes. We were questioning ourselves. Is this the right move? What do we do? Oh my God, I just got fired. What did I do? I've done everything wrong. My life's a mess. Do I have to move back home to Medford? What do I need to do? I didn't have any strength. You know what I just did? I said, God, how do you see me? I'm going to take a step forward, one step after another, and God will work with you on the way. Come on, go with the strength you have. Come on, somebody, go with the strength that you have. How many of you are geeks and like Lord of the Rings? You remember the part when Gandalf is like, Bilbo, you should go with us on this mission. We're going to go with these dwarves, you know, these, you could trust them. They're short with big beards, you know, and we're going to go rob this, this mountain. And, and, and Bilbo's like, I don't know. And they, they invite him to be the thief on this mission. And, and I love that story in the Hobbit because, because Bilbo's like, I'm not doing that. No way. I'm not a thief. I'm a hobbit. I live in a hole. I have hairy feet. This is what I do. I'm comfortable. I'm safe. But on the morning of he wakes up and he's like, where everybody go? They're all gone. 
And he makes this critical decision and he takes his little happy hobbit feet and he just starts grabbing stuff and he runs out the door. And I love it. There's this moment where he's on this journey and they're like riding along now on ponies and he's like, okay, we're doing this thing. And he's like, oh, snap. And, and I love it in the story because this is such a, a human thing. And Tolkien, uh, he, uh, he gets it right. He, he, he says, Bilbo, he remembers he doesn't have a handkerchief. And I love that because isn't that how it goes? He's like, you get going on something and you're like, oh, wait a second. I'm, I started a church. I can't be a pastor. <laughs> but now there's like a few hundred people here. <laughs> what do we do now? And you just make it work. You just go, right? You got to go with the strength you have. Listen, right now, you're Bilbo Baggins. And I know some of you actually have hairy feet. Please don't show them to us. But right now, God's coming. Hey, let's go, let's go, let's go, let's go, let's go. Come on, you got a destiny. You got purpose and value. Let's go, let's go. And you, you're like, ah, uh, and you're just about ready to run out the door without a handkerchief. Go for it. Come on, run out the door. Go with the strength you have. Take God's vision of your potential and go with the strength you have and watch what he's gonna do with your life. Can I get an amen? Amen. Jesus, I pray for every single person in this room today that you would impact them in this area. They would begin to see themselves through your eyes. Lord, if we could just get a glimpse that you're speaking to men in this room today saying, oh mighty hero, you're speaking to women in this room today, oh mighty hero. I have called you, I have chosen you for such a time as this. You are not an accident. You are loaded with potential. You're my dear child and I've got great things in store for you. And your tomorrows are gonna be better than your today. Lord, let us hear your voice today and let it, let it shape how we see ourselves in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. This morning, maybe you're here and you don't have a relationship with Christ. The very first corrective lens you need is a relationship with Jesus. The very first thing you need to understand is that God loves you so much that he sent Jesus to this planet to get into our mess and to give his life for us. And by putting your faith and trust in him and saying, you know what? I'm not gonna trust in myself. I'm just gonna trust in Jesus and I'm gonna follow him. This is your moment, your step that God is gonna reconcile you to himself. He's gonna save you. He's gonna let his grace and love flow into your life like a tidal wave and everything's gonna be different. You might not feel goosebumps or something like that, but you know, when you call on the name of the Lord, he says you will be saved and you are gonna experience transformation in your life in your heart. So if that's you today, we just all bow our heads and close our eyes. If that's you today, you're like, Pastor Jake, I want Jesus. I want to follow Jesus. Would you just raise your hand where I can see? It's right in this moment. Amen. Thank you. I see that. A lot of people. That's so cool. Thank you so much. Let's pray this prayer together. Just pray this along with me. Dear Jesus, put my faith and trust in you. I want to see myself through your eyes. I want to experience your resurrection life. I confess my sin to you, all my failures and mistakes, but I thank you for your grace and mercy revealed to me at the cross where you gave your life for me. I put my trust in you, in Jesus' name, amen.